Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Welcome to the Sages Among Us. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and I'm very pleased to introduce you to my guest tonight, Aaron Zettler-Mann, Executive Director of South Yuba River Citizens League. Aaron is an outdoor enthusiast with three degrees in geology and academic, academic training and research in fluvial geomorphology and remote sensing. Aaron, welcome to Sages Among Us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. And Aaron, there's so much for us to talk about tonight, but I'd like to start with some of your early background. Where, where did you grow up? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a small community in rural, coastal Northern California, a community called Blue Lake. It's in Humboldt County. It's a little bit east of Arcata, kind of just before you started going up to Trinidad. And it's grown since I grew up there, but 800 or so people growing up. Wow. So much smaller than Nevada City. Much smaller than Nevada City, yeah. And when you were growing up, uh, was your family involved in local community? They have been involved in the local community, yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't necessarily remember it, but my parents tell stories of me being in diapers and being a bit of a disruption at, uh, you know, the planning commission meetings and that kind of thing. So I, you know, it's small communities and small government being involved in the community with nonprofits, theater, the arts, that kind of thing is something that I've been doing since really before I could remember. Do you have any siblings? Yep. One younger sister who's I'm very fortunate. She's up in Truckee. She's been up there for a number of years. And so we're very fortunate, my wife and I, that we actually get to see my sister and her husband pretty frequently. Oh, that is great. Um, So do you remember your first volunteer activity or job as a kid or adult, young adult? Uh, Yeah. You know, and I don't, my parents might be able to correct me. I believe my first volunteer activity was checking tickets as an usher at Del Arte, which is the clown school, rather well-renowned clown school in Blue Lake. And, uh, you know, we were there pretty frequently. And so checking tickets as an usher as a kid was its the, certainly the first one that I remember. Okay. I just have to backtrack a yep. little bit to clown school because I don't know about many clown schools. So is it one of many or? You know, it is, it is a fairly niche world. Um, but Del Arte as sort of theater and the grand tradition of clowning goes is incredibly well recognized and sort of internationally renowned. So it's not big. Um, it's certainly not making, who is it, USA Today does the list of top colleges. It's probably not making that list, um, you know, but it's, it is, has been well known. Wow. Um, okay. Well, definitely yeah. learns. <laughs> I expect to learn lots of new things tonight, but that's, that's, a, that's definitely new. Well, what were some of your early passions growing up? Yeah. And I've always been an outdoorsy kid. I've, I, you know, I grew up playing in the creek behind my house, uh, running around was definitely one of those kind of, you know, be home by the time the streetlights comes on kind of childhoods riding around in the woods, that kind of thing. And that's, uh, you know, that theme of exploring exploring outside and being curious is really, it's going to be a theme of this evening for me. (laughs) (laughs) So did you know what you wanted to do as a kid? Not at all. Um, I, 
in hindsight, there were there were signs, you know, natural curiosity, being outdoors, uh, you know, that, like I said, that's there's a theme there. Uh, but what that was going to look like in terms of a career, I couldn't have guessed. Um, but yeah, you know, there were signs. I was always really excited about like science fair projects and those kinds of things. And certainly lucky to have folks that encouraged that and parents that were able to help foster and support that kind of thing. But no, I was never like, I'm going to be a doctor when I grow up or, a, you know, wouldn't have even been able to pronounce fluvial geomorphologist. So <laughs> glad you said that. So I don't have to say it, um, but I did practice it. Uh, well, now, where did you decide to first go to college? Because I know you have three degrees, different colleges. Yep. Three degrees, uh, far more than three colleges. I think this is uh, this is one of the things that I think is perhaps unique about kind of how I got to where I am is that school was not a focus for me for most of my life. I, I did well, I, you know, but it it wasn't always a challenge. It kind of came easy. So I never really gave it a much effort. Right after high school, I went to Humboldt State University, now Cal Poly Humboldt, um, because, you know, you went to college after school, spent far more of my time surfing than in class. Uh, and sort of grades reflected that moved to Santa Cruz on a whim. Uh, so that's sort of Humboldt State's school one, moved to Santa Cruz on a whim because I had a good friend that lived there and, you know, there's more higher quality, more debatably more high quality waves. Um, <laughs> got there. My folks were like, well, if you're not going to school, like you find a job. And so I enrolled in the community college there and started going to school there, but really, again, just sort of surfing. And at this point, I had been more or less in school for four years, realized that I was spinning my wheels. I was wasting time, wasting money. But four years into my education, I needed a piece of paper. And so this is the first geography degree. I went to the guidance counselor there and said, hey, like it's been four years. I need a piece of paper. I don't really care what it says on it. They looked at my tra transcript and you know, being always sort of picking classes that looked interesting, they looked at my transcript and said, well, if you take an English class and an art class, you have a degree in geography. And so I said, okay, well, I need an English class and an art class. And in the back of my mind, huh, what's geography? And apparently I am one. Um, and after that, took a few years off going to school really leaned into this sort of seasonal guiding lifestyle as a whitewater raft guide for 10 years, started doing that for sort of not more full time, but extending the season, uh, worked as a ski patroller, worked construction, did other stuff. In that period of time, I was like, this is it. I don't need to go back to school. I've got what I need. I got an EMT at that period of time, just kind of finding things to do that kind of seemed interesting and kept me on the move, kept me outside. Eventually, I did decide, hey, you know, I think I want to go back to school, uh, largely because yeah, raft guide and ski patrol is just hard on your body, and you're living out of your vehicle for much of the year. Uh, so went back to school, ended up getting also enrolling at Front and moved to Colorado. So ended up starting at Front Range Community College to take a couple of classes and then CU Boulder. And CU Boulder is where my second geography degree comes in. And that's an important school because that's also where I discovered sort of science and field work and being on rivers and that there is an opportunity to do those things to still kind of get a lot of the fulfillment and day-to-day -day life satisfaction of being a raft guide and ski patrol and doing those kinds of things. But I could also tap into that kind of science 
curiosity, natural world curiosity that I had growing up and kind of marry those. And so you got a master's there. No, so that's that oh. this is a bachelor's. So oh. it's eight years, eight years and four schools to bachelors. And so you know, to to parents out there who are a little bit worried. <laughs> eight years, four schools to a bachelor's degree. After that, I had the incredible opportunity to do some field work in Wyoming and Greenland. We can talk about some of that a little bit more Ooh, later. Yes. Um and that sort of hooked in, oh, I can be outside and do science. Once I got the bachelor's, it was pretty quick. I went to University of Denver, got a master's there. Uh, I was a couple years degree and then went to University of Oregon where I got a PhD. So all of those degrees are in geography as a department, which I'm a huge booster. I think it's the best sort of discipline of science there is, and all of them studying rivers. And so is that what fluvial geomorphology is you got it exactly so <laughs> fluvial river geo earth earth morphology change so it's studying how oh. rivers interact and change the earth and so my specialization is really looking at human river landscape interactions so how do the things that we do impact how a river looks and then therefore what kind of habitat there is oh that okay there's so much to talk about <laughs> I, I, I definitely want to go back to those things but i do want to learn a little bit about um, some of the early jobs you had and maybe if you had any mentors or lessons that you learned in some of those early positions? Because it sounds like you've done such a variety of, of work. Yeah, there there certainly were. So, you know, as might be expected, some of those early jobs were things like camp counselors at, you know, aquatics camps, teaching surfing, sailing, teaching kayaking, those kinds of things, the lifeguard, the, uh, you know, swim instructor, sort of early college that uh, you know, uh, some of our listeners may may have predicted. Uh, and then, like I said, construction, ski patrol as a whitewater raft guide for many, many years. Um, uh, you know, through all of those jobs, there are people that you pull things from, from me. There are people that you get a little bit of lessons from. There's mentorship. Uh, some of the early ones growing up, really all of grade school, a uh, dear family friend, Donald Forrest, uh, was really instrumental. He put out this program, again, through the clown school, education through the arts. And so starting in kindergarten, I was on stage, I was in plays. And uh, that's, you know, hugely, has been hugely beneficial for me throughout my life, because being on stage, public speaking, there's a comfort there. Uh, you know, you're not saying you don't get butterflies and those kinds of thing, but I feel at peace in that space. And it continues to be incredibly valuable in the teacher realm also kindergarten and third grade teacher terry bean uh another one of those wonderful people that really encouraged curiosity encouraged science and you know and let you be a little bit goofy you know you could be goofy as long as you were getting your work done and then uh, you know the people that i've worked construction with that are raft guides uh, you know academic advisors as well have all been you know really instrumental in helping you know giving you those sort of nuggets of lesson that kind of change maybe how you think about the world or how you approach problems. So as you speak about all these different experiences in your life, it just feels like the fluvial geomorphology yep. <laughs> is, is like a metaphor for, you know, how all these different experiences in your life, because yep. there's so many yeah. that are flowing in and out. Yep. That, that's so interesting. Well, I, I know that you um, have taught a variety of courses mm -hmm. 
And so where have you taught? So most of my teaching was uh, through grad school as a grad student, so at University of Denver, uh, and then more so at the University of Oregon, uh, you know, largely kind of undergrad or undergrad, grad student mixed classes. And, and what, do you en- what did you enjoy about teaching? Yeah, I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy sharing knowledge. I enjoy maybe offering different perspectives on the way that somebody might see or interact with the world. I, I found for me some of the classes that I enjoyed teaching the most were the big survey sort of introduction to physical geography classes or just those big survey geography classes in general. Uh, because they're broad, but they can really open up your perspective. So, you know, one of the favorite classes that I taught, it was a physical geomorphology class. And the tagline that I used throughout the class, every time we introduced, you know, mountain building or river erosion or climate or forestry, ecology, anything like that, is that it's a really, it's a class that was about the science of scenery. And so every time you look out at a vista, and there are no shortage of them in the Yuba or Nevada County, Every time you see something that's gorgeous, there's science. There's an interaction of, you know, biologic and historic and geologic and hydrology and all of these different things that go into creating that. And at least for me, I I enjoy it that much more when I can kind of look at something and sort of piece together how it got there. You know, my wife might disagree. I can be pretty annoying on road trips pointing things out. It's this constant narration, but, you know, I enjoy it. Well, you are listening to Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart-Frank, and I'm talking to Aaron Zettler-Mann, Executive Director of the South Yuba River Citizens League. Uh, So, Aaron, you you, uh, also said in your bio that you worked on a lot of different river research projects in the U.S. and internationally. You just mentioned Greenland, which I have a fascination with. So tell me about some of the places you worked and some of the rivers. Yeah. So I think I worked on a couple of rivers outside of Cody, Wyoming, and that was that first introduction. I had a wonderful uh, individual who took me in. Eric Mule was a PhD student at CU Boulder. You know, we hit it off. I was a much older student at that point than most of the undergrads and had some experience. And so he brought me out into the field and he really was the person that kind of introduced me to this idea that you can be outside on rivers in pretty places and doing science and asking questions. And um, so it, we were on a few rivers in the Sunlight Basin and outside of Cody, Wyoming. That then turned into a field research position, again, through CU Boulder on the east coast of Greenland. And we were in a number of small fjords there. Uh, And really, the point of the research was sort of figuring out how to take discharge, so the amount of water flowing out of these rivers. And because it's summer, there is no rainfall or snow. We know it's all ice sheet melt. Looking at that discharge and trying to correlate it or figure out the relationship between discharge and in these narrow fjords, the sediment plume is very constrained. And we have incredible aerial imagery going back to World War II of these fjords. And we know where that sediment plume is and trying to figure out, okay, well, if we know from the river edge of the river to the edge of the sediment, how long that is, we should be able to make a pretty accurate guess of discharge. And so it was just starting to set that study up, which went on for a number of years. There are a few interesting uh, papers that came out of that. 
That was the big international one. We were there for uh, six weeks or so on a number of different rivers and fjords, some of them named, some of them not. Um, my master's work was on the Arkansas River in Colorado, looking at a commercially heavily commercially run stretch of river. Um, when I got to Oregon, I spent time working and doing research on the Long Tom River there by Eugene. I spent a lot of time working on the Middle Fork of the John Day, uh, which was part of an intensively monitored watershed. So a lot of resources looking at that uh, watershed specifically and the positive benefits of restoration. And then my dissertation was on the Rogue. Uh, you know, I'm a longtime white water paddler. And so I just somehow I picked the wild and scenic section of the Rogue as the place that I needed to spend time on for research. Wow. I was just, I mean, if your passion comes through so clearly. Well, so my next question is, um, doesn't, is, it doesn't really make sense after listening to all that passion, but what drew you to the South River, to circle to the South River, Yuba River Citizens League? Oh, I respectfully disagree. I see the, th I see the thread very clearly, well, or, the, the, or thread, the stream. But, but it's the obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's doing work. It's rivers. And so as I was finishing my dissertation, I started a postdoc. And, you know, in academia at that level, you're sort of looking at these two paths, right? There's the academia route. And then there's, you know, private industry, government, something else. And while I really liked things about academia, it was not for me the kind of the rush, the pressure to publish and really just the lifestyle, you know, the amount of traveling, jumping around to universities, postdocs that you have to do to get to someplace that you want to be. It can take a really long time. You know, it took a, my cousin a decade, and she is an incredibly talented astrophysicist. And so I just didn't want that place. And being in a community that we value has always been incredibly important to my wife and I. And so we knew that place was important. We'd rather be happy where we are. Uh, and so that pushed towards, you know, government applied doing work on the ground, especially coming out of some of the research and work that I was doing in the John Day Basin, seeing the benefits of restoration was really important. And so then it was just a matter of saying, okay, well, where are the organizations that are doing good work and having change, having positive benefit on the landscape in places that we want to live? And Circle came up pretty quickly as, with a position to to do good work in the lower Yuba. And it's a place that we knew. We met as raft guides in Coloma in 03, maybe 2004. Um, and so we knew the area. We'd spent time in the watershed. We were close. We had community close. And so it was a really attractive place to live. You know, and there was good work to be done and getting done. So how long have you been the executive director for Circle? So about six months as the executive director. I stepped in as interim around this time last year um, when Melinda Booth stepped down. Uh, so I stepped in. That was a five, maybe six-month process uh, to sort of going through the hiring and interviews and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and so I've been had the executive director job for about six months. I think it was roughly June. And so, how long have you been with the organization? Yep. So I've been with the organization for about four years. Moved down. I started uh, March of 2020. Had two days in the office, and world shut down. Yep, that's right. <laughs> um, 
started just focused on lower Yuba restoration projects. The circle was in need of a watershed science director pretty quickly after a couple of months stepped into that position. And I was the science director for most of my time at circles, you know, two and a half ish years, if I'm doing my math right. How big an organization is circle? We're about 25 people at this point, and that's the science department, education, outreach, uh, you know, communications, and the Wild and Scenic Film Festival staff as well. And is everybody there a scientist? No, everybody has very specific skill sets and backgrounds that match what they're doing. You know, the science staff all has science backgrounds, um, but, uh, you know, the Film Fest staff, they are brilliant and experts at event organizing and putting together film fests. And that's their background. That's what they do. Yeah, uh, you maybe know. you could talk a little bit about what the film festival is and the focus. Yeah. So the Well and Scenic Film Festival, it's every year. It's in February. Um, usually that kind of second weekend in February. And it's, you know, the idea is it's where activism goes to get inspired, right? And it really comes out of Circle's kind of mission of engaging the community and really inspiring activism for positive change. And so, again, every year we collect films, uh, 110 to 120 in most years, uh, although we'll get 500 or so submitted curate that down to a list in Nevada City and Grass Valley over the weekend. There's a number of film sessions that have sort of similarly themed films that people can go out and enjoy. And they all try to motivate action, either locally or, you know, we get a lot of people coming into town from out of town, taking that inspiration back to where you are. Um, and they can, you know, Themes vary. I mean, climate change is always a you know a big theme. We try to be really, really intentional about elevating voices that haven't traditionally been elevated. So, sort of thinking about the Jedi values um, and elevating some of those voices and making sure that there's robust representation there. Uh, and then it's always kind of fun. There are unique themes that emerge. Um, you know, food and agriculture is one that has emerged. Uh, and, you know, and sometimes it's in, you know, adventure and there's some really interesting adventure pieces that are coming together and we get all of those films. And so we curate them and then it's, you know, people can you know buy tickets. We encourage everybody in the community to buy tickets, come out, look at the films and then also enjoy some of the non-film programming. There's panels, there's discussions with filmmakers, with producers, with the athletes or the people in the film, the subjects uh, throughout town as well. Well, it does sound very inspirational. And, and I'm wondering, is Circle a, a real unique organization? Are there other organizations like this in other communities with rivers? Yeah, I would say in some ways Circle is very unique. And in some ways Circle is, uh, you know, cut from a, a cloth. Uh, you know, everywhere there are rivers and people that care about their rivers, there's going to be some level of organization around that. You know, for example, in... Um, Oregon, there's sort of a pseudo-governmental uh, uh, group that kind of every watershed has its own management system, and it, they're partially funded by the state. Circle is a member of the Waterkeeper Alliance, so that's an, that's an international group of nonprofits that all kind of share the same vision. So we're also the Yuba River Waterkeeper, in addition to being Circle, um, and at the same time. What we do, 
the effectiveness of what we do and the breadth of what we do is incredibly unique. When I go to the National and International Waterkeeper Alliance conferences, I'm giving talks, I'm putting together lessons because we are doing restoration. We've got a 20 plus year monitoring program. We are in classrooms providing lessons. We're getting students outside you know, and we've got this film festival that's a fundraiser and we send out on tour all over the country. And so the breadth of what we do, I think, really does make us unique. So is is the influence of Circle beyond Nevada County, beyond the state, or how would you characterize that? I would, I mean, allowing myself the ability to brag a little bit. I think I you think, should. <laughs> I think we can, I can safely call, call it international. You know, Circle's uh, work, you know, we're regularly in Sacramento and we're talking with people and advocating for healthy um, policies, healthy decisions around the environment. And if it benefits the Yuba watershed, it's going to benefit the state and it's going to benefit the West. The film festival, uh, you know, that where activism gets inspired, that's nationwide. And I know the Waterkeeper Alliance is an international organization of nonprofits and circle i've put together lessons on how to use specialized software we've done talks on water quality monitoring how to use it how to use it to advocate for better policy how to implement restoration and you know those are talk talks that are being given to with people from all over the world in the audience and so i i I might argue international. I I love that. And so what would you like the listeners tonight to understand about Circle and what we could do as individuals to support Circle's mission and vision? Yeah, well, I think the big thing for me is to continue to support Circle. You know, being a member is wonderful. And I and I mean that, you know, there's we can't get around that we're a nonprofit. And so those donations make a difference. They allow us to do the work. But I think I get better buy-in and I'm going to be taken more seriously when I'm in a room in Sacramento, you know, with Secretary Crowfoot, and he sort of knows Circle, and he knows that we've got thousands of people across the watershed in the state that believe in what we're doing, and it gives our voice just a little bit more weight. And then we talked about the Film Fest, you know, in February, showing up, getting tickets to the Film Fest, always reserve your seats so you know you get to go to the sessions you want to go to. And then, you know, being a good steward when you're at the river, you know, picking up after your pets, some of those cleanup things, uh, you know, we, we always kind of joke sort of tongue in cheek that we, we dream of the day when we don't need to do our annual river cleanup because everybody's picked up after themselves. Um, we're a ways away from that, but maybe this year. But that's great. That means that all of us can participate in some way. Absolutely. So Absolutely. We, we just have a few minutes left. And I do want to li- know a little bit more about you and what you do for fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've just done everything. <laughs> but what are some of the activities that you enjoy about living in Nevada County? Uh, I'm a big outdoor person, as you probably guessed. Um, so, I, you know, one of the things that I really like, we really like about Nevada County and living where we do is that there's trails out the door. And so taking the dog for a run, we don't have to get in the car. We can go out, go for a run. We can hit dirt from, from the front door, which is nice. Mountain biking a lot, big whitewater kayaker as well. I do all of the downhill gravity snow sports skiing, snowboarding, teleskiing, uh, you know, sort of depending Tele-skiing. on. Teleskiing, oh my, we don't have time to talk about that, <laughs> but that's exciting. <laughs> 
so do all of the winter sport, you know, all of the winter downhill gravity sports as well. So really it's, you know, outside and enjoying the watershed as much as I can. And you do have some inside hobbies too? Yes, I do. I, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy baking. It's my my little hipster moment, if you will. I did it before it was cool. I've been baking sourdough bread and just bread in general, you know, since, I don't know, 2008, 2010. I found the process incredibly stress relieving during exam season, the, having to get up every couple hours to knead bread, gave you a break, a little bit meditative. So <laughs> it's my slight hipster thing about sourdough. Well, you are really an all-around person, uh, Aaron. And uh, my last question to you is, um, if you had the power to wave a magic wand to improve Mm -hmm. our community or a way to solve a a problem, what what would you focus on? That's a good question. Uh, You know, my first reaction is, I think, some of the things that we sort of touched about that are core to the job, things like fire safety or really water security, water resilience in the face of climate change. But I would also say we're working on those. I'm not I'm not entirely convinced those are good magic wand tasks. I think one of the things that, you know, we we struggle with here is kind of cost of living and employee retention. And there are a lot of mental health challenges around that. And, you know, the idea of people, you know, my age, I'm about 40, a little bit younger, kind of the ability to like, can I buy a house? Is this a place that I could be forever, ever? And if we're worried about those kinds of base needs, you know, can I afford rent? Can I afford food? It's really hard to care about the environment in the way that I strive for so much and Circle strives for. And so I think if I actually had the magic wand, I might do something that helps the community, everybody that lives here and cares about the watershed, have some of those needs met, the housing, you know, groceries, some of those more basic needs at the base of um, Maslow's sort of hierarchy's pyramid of needs so that people had the capacity and the ability to really care about the environment and invest more time and energy into some of those things. And it all comes full circle. Well, <laughs> well thank you for joining us, Aaron. My guest tonight is Aaron Zettlerman, Executive Director of South Yuba River Citizen League. And the purpose of this program is to inspire and to invite people to participate in the betterment of our community. Discover how you can make a difference by tuning in Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Thanks for joining us and thanks for everything you do to make our community great.